Let us pray. Through God's word, O Holy Spirit, bring us closer to our Savior. And in response, triune God, prompt our hearts to offer you sincere thanks for our salvation. In the strong name of Jesus, our Lord. Amen. The reading for today is from the letter to the Hebrews, the first chapter, verses 1 to 4. Listen to the word of God. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. This is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. Through the ages, God has been seeking men and women who have ears to hear and hearts that are willing to respond to great spiritual truths. God has spoken through the prophets and through the angels. And God has spoken in human hearts through such things as the wonders of nature. We always give thanks for the beauty of nature on Sundays. And we can certainly give thanks and praise on a day like this with the beautiful sunshine and with some signs of spring popping up all around us. Indeed, the prophet, I'm sorry, not the prophet, but the psalmist wrote, the heavens... Declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the works of his hands. Day after day they pour forth speech. Night after night they reveal knowledge. They have no speech. They use no words. No sound is heard from them. Yet their voice goes out into all the earth. Their words to the end of the world. And that is from Psalm 19. And how true that is. Nature does not speak to us in the sense that I'm speaking to you now, but nonetheless, the beauty of nature speaks to us in a very profound way, nonetheless. The text says that in these last days, spoken to us by his son, or the text declares that God has, in these last days, spoken to us by his son. And so, when we think of the words of Jesus Christ, we think of the Word of God, that is God speaking in a very special, unique way. A way that, in fact, goes beyond even nature, even the beauty of nature and its importance and its necessity. Nature, if we look at it in a sort of doctrinal way, nature is general revelation, The word of God is special revelation. 
And while everyone on earth can benefit from general revelation in the sense of common grace, it is only those whom God has elected unto salvation who can benefit, who can even comprehend at all, the special revelation of his word. Now, the author of Hebrews is directing his message to Jewish Christians who were recent converts from Judaism. So they still consider themselves in a very important sense to be Jews, but they were following Jesus, Yeshua, the Jewish Messiah. And so what Paul is doing, I'm sorry, not what Paul, but the author of Hebrews is trying to do here is to demonstrate Christ's superiority to all the other modes of revelation that they might have been used to. Christ is higher than the angels. Christ is superior to Moses, the great lawgiver, because we know that God certainly revealed himself through Moses. The author of Hebrews declares Christ's superiority to the prophets who foretold his coming. And when we talk about the prophets, we're talking about the greatest figures in the history of Israel. We, we, we think of men like Isaiah and Jeremiah and Hosea and Daniel and Ezekiel. These amazing, incredible men of God whom God used in such a powerful way. And Christ is superior even to them. Every type of revelation may be important, but the revelation through the Son of God is of the supreme importance. Nothing can be greater than that. The author of Hebrews also takes pains to explain that Christ has become the great high priest. He is therefore also superior to what the Jews had understood as the priesthood. After all, you had the priesthood under the Jews, the the Aaronic priesthood, and the priest did the various sacrifices that were set out in the Old Testament, and you see them in Leviticus especially, uh, to make an atonement for the sins of the people and to offer thanks to God and so on and so forth. Now, the author of Hebrews is telling the Jews that Jesus Christ is the great, the one high priest, And not only that, though, he is not only the high priest who can approach the Holy of Holies without fear, he is also simultaneously, paradoxically, wonderfully, the sacrificial lamb himself. Because just as the Hebrews had sacrificed animals before and had put their blood on the altar, something that had to be done over and over again, Jesus Christ shed his blood once as an atonement for the sins of many. And so, again, it is extraordinary. I don't know how to describe it. Uh, Words fail me when it comes to the dual role of Christ as the high priest and the ultimate sacrifice. But that is what he is, and that is what he was. And so God has spoken in his Son. What message is God imparting to us through his son? That is a question that, of course, was important then when the letter was written, and it continues to be important now. What is God saying to us in Jesus Christ? 
Well, first, in Jesus Christ, God speaks to us concerning his unique nature. He is defining himself through Christ. Now, from the beginning of thought, people have wondered about the nature and character of God. People have sought an explanation for the way things are. They have wondered about the God who has brought all into, all into being, all into creation. There has been a lot of thought and speculation and agonizing sometimes about why God has made us as the highest of the living creatures on earth. The only ones, as far as we know, that are truly capable of rational thought and have a conscience and communication. I know there's speculation there might be some other mammals who may have some of that. We don't know. But... The evidence is pretty clear. Something sets humanity apart from the other animals on earth. When we think about God, or when people have thought about God, many different theories have come up. Probably nothing new to you. Some have thought of God as the all-powerful principle behind the universe. In other words, kind of an impersonal God. Call, Call it the sort of the principle of objectivity. Or the ultimate reality. Um, then there are some who have considered God to be kind of a, well, a great craftsman or engineer who set everything into motion, but then for whatever reason withdrew from our existence. In other words, God exists but somewhere out there, and God, that kind of God, does not have and cannot have a personal relationship with us. That kind of God may not hear our prayers at all, and if he does, he doesn't care about them. That's just not his thing. He is the creator. He holds all things in order, but he's not a personal God who cares about his creation. Against some of those thoughts, and there are many others, against those thoughts, the Old Testament, if we look back at that, shows God's progressive self-revelation. He revealed himself continually as people received and responded to that revelation. And throughout the Old Testament, God revealed more and more of himself to the patriarchs, such as Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to the priests, to Moses, the lawgiver, to the psalmists. He kept showing more and more of himself And he was doing so to point people from that time to the fullest revelation of himself. The fullest revelation of his character and plan for the human race, which would come in the New Testament, in the person of Jesus Christ. And so the revelation given in the Old Testament was real and of incredible importance, but it was still but a a foreshadowing of what was yet to come. And I think the word foreshadowing is especially appropriate when we consider the Old Testament. It comes before, so we have the fore, but also the shadowing. The Old Testament reveals precious truths about God, and yet they are but a shadow of the truth that will be revealed in the person of Jesus Christ.
So through his son, Jesus Christ, God desired to speak concerning his unique nature. On all occasions, Jesus taught that God is good and that God is love. And he taught his disciples to think of God not only as a king, but also as their heavenly father. Jesus pictured God as the good shepherd who searches for a lost sheep and as as a father who awaits with eagerness the wayward son's return. He portrayed God as someone who rejoices and welcomes the wayward son and immediately prepares a banquet for him. To really understand the nature of God, we need to examine the nature and the character and the motives of Jesus Christ. When we think of Jesus, we think of God. There is nothing that God is going to do that is going to be inconsistent with what we know about Jesus Christ, which I think is very comforting. In other words, we don't have to speculate about some entity called God who is somehow separate from Jesus Christ. No, when we learn more about Jesus, when we understand what he is saying, we learn and understand more about God. Jesus said, according to the Gospel of John, no one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. And so in Jesus Christ, God is making himself known. And later, the Apostle John quotes this conversation of Jesus with Philip. If you had known me, you would have known my father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. And Philip said to him, Lord, show us the father and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Now in Christ, God does speak of himself, but he does more than that. God speaks of us and of our need for salvation. Jesus defined his purpose for coming into the world in terms of meeting that need that we have for salvation. The angelic announcement to Joseph, recounted in Matthew 1, indicated that Jesus came to save his people from their sins. John the Baptist instructed the disciples to behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of of the world. Again, we have Jesus as the sacrificial high lamb. On another occasion, Jesus said, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. To give his life as a ransom for many meaning sinners who come to faith. The Apostle Paul would declare that Christ died for our our sins. I don't know if we can comprehend, at least not fully, the dreadfulness of our sin, but if we 
want to make an attempt to do so, think about what happened on Calvary. Jesus Christ went through the agony of the cross so that our sins might be forgiven. If we want to have any idea of the awfulness of sin, we need to see what sin did to Jesus Christ when he was on the cross. I think it's always been the case, and it certainly is the case today, that many people ignore sin or minimize sin. And yet the wise man who wrote Proverbs points out the foolishness of treating sin lightly because we know that God has never treated sin lightly. The penalty of sin is revealed in Christ's death on the cross. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life. In Christ Jesus our Lord. Truly, the death of Christ on the cross was a substitutionary death. The most terrible part of the suffering of Christ on the cross was not the physical agony, but it was his feeling of utter loneliness and isolation and estrangement from the Father. Christ was cut off from his Father because he had taken our sins on himself. And yes, one can say, well, it was for a relatively short period, blah, blah, blah. But think, Christ, the word of God, has existed as long as God himself is is eternal. For all of eternity, the Father and the Son have been one. And of course, with the Holy Spirit. And so to think, what would it have been like for the Son to be ripped away from that perfect communion with the Father, even if for a limited time? Can we imagine the indescribable agony of that separation? And yet Jesus Christ willingly took that separation so that our sins may be forgiven. And so we see in Christ that God has revealed his inflexible justice. It is a paradox, but no less true for being a paradox, that the God of love and grace and mercy is also the God of justice. The law of God dictates that the soul that sins must die. Nature And the truth of God hold that the wages of sin is death. And I say nature because, well, human beings die after all. We have to go through that disturbing passage of existence. But thanks be to God that he has given a way for our souls to be saved nonetheless. You see, in a mysterious and miraculous way, this God of inflexible justice has provided for our salvation by giving us a Savior, Jesus Christ. His death on the cross, as I said, was a substitutionary death. In an incomprehensible way, God had Christ to be our substitute. Christ paid the wages of our sins. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, 
For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And the great prophet Isaiah declared, All we like sheep have gone astray, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And again, the justice of God, the just law of God, declares that sin results in death. But the God of grace and mercy provided a Savior who died for the sins of the elect so that they will receive the gift of eternal life. In the cross, God speaks concerning his desire and his determination to reveal his, to redeem, excuse me, his people from the tyranny and penalty of sin. God hates sin because he is a holy God, but as a gracious God, he loves sinners. And he has made provision for their forgiveness and cleansing. And of course, that provision is Jesus Christ, through whom God has spoken for 2,000 years, and through whom God speaks even to us today. In Christ, on Calvary, God reveals his great love and concern for those not yet saved. According to John 3.17, God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. Paul stood in amazement before God's immeasurable and indescribable love for sinners and asked, He who did not spare his only Son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things. That's Romans 8.32. And so to measure God's love for us, just as we measured the awfulness of our sin, to measure God's love for us, we go to Calvary. And we see that God gave His Son to die for us. Now, communicating can be done in many ways. It can be done verbally, or it can be done by a written message. We communicate by our expressions and actions. We communicate by means of a generous gift. There are many ways to communicate. But the most powerful way, I think, to communicate is to suffer on behalf of a loved one. To suffer on behalf of a loved one. And so our Heavenly Father demonstrated His love for us by the suffering that his son endured when he was crucified on the cross for our sins. Finally, in Christ, on Calvary, God reveals his claim on our lives. Jesus Christ suffered and died on the cross to reveal the awfulness of sin and save us from sin. And he did this to inspire us and motivate us to join God in his persistent quest to save his people from sin. Paul declared, For the love of Christ controls us, 
because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died, and he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. To visit Calvary and to behold the wonder of God's love for us is a life-transforming experience. And this love not only bestows on us the blessings of God, but it also places us under a heavy debt of gratitude that should cause us to communicate the good news of God's love through Jesus Christ. So God has spoken. God has spoken through nature. God has spoken through the patriarchs. God has spoken through the lawgiver. God has spoken through the prophets and the priests and the psalmists. God has spoken through the angelic beings. And God speaks most powerfully, above all, through his Son. Have you heard him? Are you listening? You are called upon, we are called upon, to respond to what he is saying to us in our hearts. We can respond to him by becoming a communicator of this message that has come to us through Christ Jesus. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, Amen.